too. So God knows what's going to be said today. Uh, apparently, God wanted me to say more, though, because the video screwed up again. So, amen. I got a little bit more time. So thank you. Uh, I told my wife uh, earlier in the week that uh, that I was speaking today. We were actually we we're out of town last week um, for the L.A. Marathon. And then I flew out on Sunday to uh, to Fort Lauderdale for a conference where I was speaking. She's like, yeah, you're speaking there. You know, they're trying to get the young guys up there. I go, yeah, babe. that's why I love that woman right there. She's she's a good woman. Uh, you know, we're doing Nehemiah. And so the text that I was given is uh, Nehemiah chapter two. Uh, verses nine or is it verse 11 and, and following? However, we're not going to start there. And this is, you know, I've, I've, I've tried to make adjustments here, Reese, but I spent a lot of time on other things. So if, is it OK if I share those things? I think it may be helpful for people. OK, uh, I thought what I would do is just like a quick review. Is that OK? Like we've been going through Nehemiah just for a very, very short period of time, only this year. And so we have a lot ahead of us, a lot ahead of us. And so I wanted to share, you know, so why go forward when we can always go back and talk about what we've already done, right? But in a new way. So anyway, that's what I'm going to do. And you guys can, you know, find something else to do in the next few minutes. But that's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, a lot's been said of, of Nehemiah. And, and I, I'm wondering, honestly, if maybe we can, like, get the wrong impression of him. Because we talked about, you know, how the Jews were like, you know, exiled out of their homeland and and brought to this new place. And so Nehemiah is like, you know, a slave or descendants of, uh, you know, a descendant of slaves. He's an exile. He's a foreigner. Uh, and so that can kind of give us a certain impression of him. Right. Um, but, you know, Nehemiah was a pretty awesome dude. Honestly, uh, he was cupbearer to the king. What did that mean? You know, he was the bodyguard, in essence, of the king. And if you know anything, I mean, the king has like a lot of power and rule. And what does the king do every day? Well, he eats, right? And so Nehemiah didn't just take care of the wine. Nehemiah was probably there on a regular basis, maybe more than anybody else in the king's life with the king regularly. So he probably became a close acquaintance and maybe even an advisor to the king. Would that be pretty cool? I mean, what if you were the advisor to the most powerful man on earth? Would that be neat? I mean, I bet people looked at him and thought, what a great job, except for the whole poison wine thing. But other than that, that is the sweet gig. Nehemiah became governor of that whole province for 12 years after he rebuilt the wall and, and the city. So he must have, you know, had some juice, right? Like, you don't, like, become, the king goes, oh, you did such a great job. Okay, now, you know, we're going to relegate you to this insignia. No, he said, you did a great job. It's amazing. And, yes, I still want you to, you know, be an advisor. But I want you to go ahead and take over leadership of that whole region. So pretty significant responsibility, wouldn't you say? He was also a pretty tough guy. Uh, if you, is anybody, are you, like, read, have you read through, anybody, like, read through all of Nehemiah? Raise your hand. Uh, please raise your, have you ever read ever, ever in your life read through Nehemiah ever, ever, ever. Okay. So, you know, thank you. Right. So a percentage of us have done that, you know, later on, it gets like, like crazy things happen with Nehemiah. In, in fact, just turn there for just a second. Look at Nehemiah chapter 13 and, you know, Nehemiah has like, you know, made these radical Changes not just by rebuilding the wall, but also kind of rebuilding the spiritual condition of the people. And he goes back to King Artaxerxes for a time. And then he travels back and he noticed that things are kind of falling apart again. And uh, it says in, in, uh, in verse 8, and we won't read all the way 1 through, through 7 and 8, but basically he goes back and he realizes that, you know, the, the priest, Eliashib, had done some things. He had put like, like this, you know, non-Jew stuff in the temple, and that was totally wrong and against what uh, Nehemiah and what the Lord wanted. And so it says in verse 8, I was greatly displeased, and I threw all of Tobias' household's good, goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the room, and then I put back 
all the... I mean, you kind of get a sense that like it was a little like Jesus overturning the tables. He goes in, he grabs all Tobiah's stuff, and Tobiah was a significant leader in, in the region. And he just throws all of his junk outside. Like if you had a bad breakup or something like that, you find, you know, you don't want that to happen, right? Uh, it doesn't end there, though. Look in uh, verse uh, 15. He goes on. And he finds that there's some other things that are happening. And it, by the way, in verse 14, he says, remember this. Remember me for this, O God. He's like, he's like, God, you know, I know I kind of lost my cool there. But what I did was for you. So, hey, remember the good things. And it says in verse 15, in those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath. Now, they weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, but he sees them working, loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, other kinds of loads. They were bringing all of this into Jerusalem. And if you scroll down, just a little bit. It says, then I commanded the Levites, verse 21, to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath. Remember me for this. Oh, oh excuse me. Verse 21. But I warned them. I said, why do you spend the night? Because they're spending the night outside the wall. Why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. Another version says I will lay hands on you. OK, and not like in the biblical sense, you know, where they're passing on the Holy Spirit. But he was like, I'm going to I'm going to freak you up. And if you go, well, I mean, that's not right, right, to be physically violent. And so so it must not mean that. Well, if you go just a little bit further, he actually got physically violent with people. Nehemiah did. He was a tough guy. He found that that there was intermarriage going on, you know, that. You know, Christians were dating non-Christians. All this stuff was happening. He's like, this shouldn't happen. And, he, and it says that he beat some of the men and pulled their beards out. Right? Probably good not to have a beard. I mean, some of you are just shocked. You're like, now I'm going to read Nehemiah. Now I know. there's action in Nehemiah. They're not just building a stupid wall. He was a tough guy. God chose him... You know, for a purpose, right? God looked at his talents. God looked at his toughness. And he said, you know, this, this guy can do something here for us. And I say that because, you know, you have talents. And, and hopefully toughness. And don't pull anybody's beard out and stuff like that. There aren't many beards here anyway, although beards are making a comeback. I saw a cool video a couple of days ago. I was like, maybe I should grow a beard. It's kind of cool, man. My wife's like, no, no beard. I mean, may, maybe, maybe God's, you know, put, put like something on your heart to do. Maybe you don't even know it's God. Maybe, you're, maybe there's just a, like a, a desire inside of you, a passion, you know, and, and you want to do something great in your life. You want to make a difference. And you have talents and, and maybe you have toughness, but you don't have the money or you don't have the resources or you don't have the relationships. Well, what do you do in a situation like that? You know, Nehemiah gives like in just the first few verses of, of chapter one and chapter two, he gives like it's almost like step by step what you do when. God puts something on your heart to do, but you don't know how to because you're lacking the resources, the money, the time, the ability. You guys, does that make sense to you guys? So can I give you guys that? Can I, I know we're, it's a review and we're going to get it, but can I, can we talk about that for a minute? I'm asking, but I don't really care what your answer is. I'm kind of going to talk about it anyway. So just nod your head and that way we can be in agreement with each other. Is that okay? For the Latinos, brothers and sisters, say, see, yes, raise your, you know, yes, just be, you, at least you be with me. All right, so let's go all the way back to Nehemiah uh, chapter one, if we could. And let, let's talk about, you know, I mean, maybe there's something on your heart. I mean, maybe... You know, maybe you want to do a Bible talk at your high school and you're like, I really want to do that. And God's put that on my heart. But, you know, you know I'm not allowed to do it. And, 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 you know, I don't really, you know, who's going to pay for the refreshments? And or maybe, you know, you want to take time off work to 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 do something with hope and to serve the poor in a foreign place. And you're like, oh, if I leave my job, I'm you know, I, I may lose my job. And, you know, I can't I don't have the money to to be away from my job for 
you know, two or three or four months. Does this make sense? Like, like there's something on your heart. I want to do something with my life. Like I want to make an impact or I, 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 God is putting this thing on my heart, but I just don't know how to do it. That is what was going on with Nehemiah. I mean, Nehemiah, you know, back in the beginning in chapter one, Nehemiah hears about, you know, the desolation in, in, in Jerusalem, in, in his homeland, even though it had been, you know, it had happened a hundred years previously. And so God puts this thing on his heart and, and he's, he must be in turmoil because he's like, you know, I, I have an important job. I can't leave my job because if I leave my job, the king will probably kill me. That's the significant job responsibility. And, you know, I have family and I have friends and I have all these things. So he, he must be in turmoil over what do I do? Because this thing is like burdening me. Does that make sense? Now, if you don't have a burden for anything, you, you know, maybe get one. You know, I mean, I, you know, um, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, think of someone other than yourself. I mean, just for a moment or two and, you know, think I want to do something for the world. So I'll, I, I'll give you the five things that Nehemiah did that I think is really cool. And that if you don't have money or resources or permission, this is the way to get it. This is really the way to get it. And you can look at this from a worldly perspective even. Because this works, period. It works whether you want to do something for the world or just something for yourself. So, there you go. i got a few of you right there. So, great. Alright, so number one. Number one. Prayer and prepare ahead of time. Pray and prepare ahead of time. In Nehemiah 1, uh, verse 4, it says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned, fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. It was actually uh, uh, several months between the time Nehemiah heard these things and, and this burden was placed on his heart, and he actually made the request of the king. So several months went by. So when he gets in front of the king, it wasn't like, you know, like getting up and not knowing what you're going to say on a Sunday morning and just winging it, right? Like he had time to think about this and prepare and 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 really wonder. I bet he, he debated with God. God, you know, make this go away if I'm not supposed to do anything about it. Maybe I'm supposed to do something else. But it, this burden stayed with him. So he took those months to pray to God and to prepare a plan. When he got in front of the king, he knew exactly what he was going to ask for because he thought it all out. Does this make sense? So number one, pray and prepare beforehand. Number two, overcome your fear. Overcome your fear. You know, anything that you want to do great in life, you are going to be afraid before you do that thing. Doesn't matter what that is. In chapter 2, verse 2, it says, I, the, the second part of it, kind of the B, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king. He had a relationship with the king, yes. He wasn't new to the office or profession. But at the same time, the king held sway over life and death to him. He wasn't a fool. There was fear there. And you know what fear causes us to do many times? Nothing. Nothing. Because somewhere in the recess of our, of our mind, we think, you know what? If I was supposed to do this, I probably wouldn't be afraid. Bull. Bull. I might have said something else, but because you're here, just bull. Just bull. Cross that out. It's got red. Red right there. Don't say that. Overcome your fear. Just count right now. I want to do this cool thing. Just count right now. When it comes time to ask for the money or the resources or the permission or the thing that I need, just know right now you're going to be afraid. Whether it's a great thing or a small thing, if God put it on your heart, then there is an enemy who doesn't want you to do or accomplish that thing. And that enemy is right there. Messing with you. What will he say? What will she say? What will they think? Maybe they'll reject me. Maybe I'll lose my job. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe something great will happen. Overcome your fear. You'll never know. Unless, number two, you overcome your fear. Number three. Number three. Serve first. This is really big. Um, 
Nehemiah brought the king's wine, right? He didn't go right in and go, hey, you know, king, I, we, I got something really on my heart I need to talk to you about. And the God of heaven has put it on my heart. So it's really pretty important. Now, he came in, he did his job, and as always, he did a fine job for the king, right? Um, some of you guys know I, I own a publishing company, and we have a you know, good-sized social media following and whatnot. And so I get every single week authors coming to me and, like, Facebook messaging me or tweeting me or whatever. And, and they ask me, they say, you know, can you help me to promote this book? Or I have this thing, and I need you to do this. And I can tell you with complete assurance that I delete it and block them as soon as I get it. You go, oh, well, I did that. Well, sorry, I didn't mean to block you. I just meant to block the selfish individual that didn't want to serve me, but only wanted to ask for something without knowing me. You go, you go you're a bad man. You shouldn't be preaching on Sunday. That is probably true. Okay, that is probably true. But the truth is, if you're going to ask for money resources, permission, if you want to make a difference and you need the help of somebody else, you need to serve first. You need to serve first. And when you serve first, you're going to get people's attention. I was uh, at a dinner in, um, in San Diego that I was invited to just a couple of weeks ago. And I got to tell you, it was, it was the most amazing dinner with some of the most amazing people, business people that I have ever been around. I mean, at my little table was, you know, the founder of Ugg Boots, which is a many, many, you know, billion dollar company. Brian Smith is his name. And he's sitting like right next to me. And then there's, you know, this social media, you know, maven person who's kind of like the queen of YouTube, has 25 million followers. And, you know, and, and we're sitting at, at this little table and I have never been invited to a group like that. I'm like, wow, this is so awesome. I don't belong here, but I'm going to pretend like I do. Do you know why I got invited to that? Because we did some free publicity. I have two publicists in my office here in Pasadena. And we did some free publicity for a guy that I'm in a group with. I said, hey, let me serve you. Let me help you. I didn't have any expectation. I didn't ask him for anything. But he said, hey, I want to invite you to this really special dinner. And I, initially I said I couldn't go. He called me a, a bad word and said, you really should come. And I said, OK, I'll come. So I did. And I'm so happy that I came. And you know what? From that dinner, I met several other people. In fact, uh, the most successful investor on Shark Tank was there at that dinner. And, and he and a couple of others invited me to another dinner. All because I just served one guy first and didn't even ask for anything. Serve first. Don't ask first. Serve first. Number three. Number four. Address your service. Address your service. What do I mean by that? In verse 5 of chapter 2, it says, Then I pray to the God of heaven, and I answer the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Look what he did. He goes, you know, king, if, if I've been doing a good job for you, have, have I? How, how'd it go? How, how's the wine, king? Pretty good? That's a, I picked a special one for today because I knew today was going to be a big day. You like that? I got more where that came from, King. And the food? How'd the food? Oh, I love the food. Food's great, isn't it? Food's great. Queen, food good. Yeah, everyone loves the food. Hey, um, if, 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 I'm, if I do a good job for you, can you help me with this little thing? Yeah, I want to go back to my city for, you know, six months to a year. I want all the money to rebuild it. Plus, I want to do some really other cool things. Can you handle You like the food? Okay, can you do that for me? Did you get that? He addressed the service. You know, when you do a good job for someone, don't be ashamed of that. Be proud of that. Like, own it. You know, like someone wants to give you applause, go, oh, please, no more. Please, I mean, let them own it. Do you understand that? Oh, well, that's, that's, that's prideful. That, that's arrogant. Well, that seemed to work for Nehemiah. What, what, what does he know? Just rebuilt the wall after 140 odd years. Own it. And... Make sure that they own it as well by asking them. Number five and last, and this is kind of cool, ask big. Ask big. I mean, if you've overcome your fear and you've served and you've done all these other things and you prayed and God put this burden on your heart, then, hey, go big or go home, right? What does Nehemiah do? This is so cool. Verse seven and eight. He said to them, you know, please, as king, uh, may I also have letters to the governors 
Okay, so he, he got his time off. And he got the money to go. But then he says, hey, can I also have letters to the governors so they'll provide me safe contact? I want like a, I want an entourage of bodyguards. Send them all with me. Have horses and soldiers and, you know, of course, get other people to do it. So I'm going to need letters for that. He goes on. They'll provide me safe contact. And may I also have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park. So he'll give me timber and beams for the gates for the temple, for the city, and also I want to build myself a really cool house. Can you give me all the stuff I need to buy, build myself a mansion? I need it all, and letters, that's all I really need from you. Right? I mean, there were other residences there. Why couldn't he just stay with a friend, right? Airbnb. Just, you know, sack out on the couch or something. He's doing the, the Lord's work, right? Shouldn't he sacrifice while he's doing the Lord's work? So you're like, what is, who is this guy? What is he talking about? This can change your life. If you want to do anything great, I'm telling you, you can follow this and, and people will bend over backwards to do things for you. He asked big and the king gave him everything, everything. And you say, well, the king did that because God really changed the king's heart and God really put it on Nehemiah's heart. I agree with you on that. But what if he didn't ask? Would he have received he would not have. I mean, didn't Jesus say something about that? How do you receive? Ask big, I say. Because that's what Nehemiah did. I had, um, I had a meeting on Friday with a guy uh, that was really... I didn't know who I was meeting initially. You know how those are? Uh, you know, you meet someone, you go... You know, who's this? Why are we talking? <laughs> that kind of thing. Kind of like how some of you feel about me up here. Who is that and why, why is he talking? Um, and uh, he, um, he was the executive producer for a movie called Legends of Oz, and, uh, which just came out like a year and a half or so ago. And I mean, it's full of stars, Kelsey Grammer and Dan Aykroyd and, and tons of other people in this, in this movie. And the amazing thing, and, and what relates to this, is that for the first time ever, somebody made a movie, made this, this movie with a $100 million budget, completely with outside funds outside of Hollywood. What this guy did, which has gotten all of Hollywood talking about him, is he actually raised $122 million from individuals, twenty dollars to $100,000 at a time. Do the math on that. 122 million bucks to do this movie. And by the way, when I mention the movie, most of you don't know it because it didn't really do very well. 122 million. How did he do it? Like this. I mean, one investor at a time. So you say, you know, if someone can do that for an animated feature film, right? What can we do with our goals for God? I mean, if, if God has put something on your heart and you don't squash it because of fear or wondering how you're going to do it or any of that, if you follow Nehemiah's prescription, imagine the cool things that God can do with you. Does that make sense? Amen. Anyway, that was all free. That's really not what we're going to talk about today. Do you want the five steps again? I'll give it to you again. Pray and prepare beforehand. Overcome your fear, number two. Number three, serve first. Number four, mention and address your service. And number five, ask how? Big. Get a house built at the same time. Crazy. Crazy. Uh, all right, so we're supposed to be talking about what happens after all of that. But as we often do, we went back and we did a little follow-up and recap and stuff like that. So what happens afterwards? So Nehemiah gets everything he wants from the king, right? And now he has to go about taking action and making happen what God put on his heart to happen. So let's go to verse 11. And we'll read through verse 20. And then uh, I'll talk for the remaining 17 minutes that we have. How about that? Nehemiah says, or it says in Nehemiah, verse 11, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. 
By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire for many, many decades. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by the night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would actually be doing the work. I love that part, by the way, right there. I didn't tell anybody, especially all those people that were really going to do the work, what I was doing. You don't think it's funny. I think it's hilarious. All right, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing? They asked, are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. That's some great stuff right there. I mean, every part of it, great stuff. I don't know what I can say in 15 minutes, but I'm going to do my best to roll through this, okay? So if you got a pen and paper out, be ready. I'm just kidding. I don't see any much pen and paper. So. so Nehemiah gets to Jerusalem. What's the first thing he does? Well, it's a long trip, 800 miles. So who knows how long it took? How long do you think, Reese? Month, two months, three months, four months? It takes a while to go 800 miles, right? Uh, even in the Grand Marquis, that would take some time. Especially in the Grand Marquis, that would take some time. <laughs> First thing he does is he spends three days kind of gathering himself, thinking. And then he goes out by himself with just a few other guards, perhaps. And he does a serious and thorough inspection of the problem. Okay. Now, this has been going on for a 100 years. Nothing new. Now, he hadn't seen it before. But even unseen, it burdened his heart so much that he took action. And yet here were thousands and thousands of people living in this vicinity that saw it every single day. And Nehemiah had more of a burden for them and for the disgrace they were in than they had for themselves. Is that interesting to you? I mean, I'd love to open it up, but I know we don't have time, but... I mean, why think why? Why would a guy that had never seen the problem be more concerned about it than the people who saw it every single day, every day, every day? They saw the gates that had fallen down every day. They saw the rubble every day. They saw the destruction around them. The temple at this time had been rebuilt. So they were coming through these burned gates to worship. Every day they saw this. What happens when you see something over and over and over again? What happens? You get hard to it, right? There's, there's an interesting, I think, dynamic in human beings, right? We, we are, believe it or not, and I know some of you will think, well, you know, I, I always have this little voice in my head that's negative, negative, negative. And, and that's there's truth to that. I got that, too. But, you know, innately, we are optimistic people. Hey, I, I'm a super optimistic person. I flew back early from my business trip so that I could play golf. And after 36 holes of golf, I was so disgusted with myself. You know why? Because I thought it was going to go well. I was optimistic. Disappointed, though, wasn't I? We're naturally optimistic people. Uh, I was reading an article earlier this week 
Uh, the Harvard Business Review had this article about optimism in business. And it, it went through all of these like massive business failures. Massive. I mean, billions of dollars lost. And there was a statistic that, that they showed that stated that 75% of all mergers and acquisitions, massive mergers of businesses, 75% fail or make no money whatsoever. 75%. Do you think they went into that thinking that it's going to fail? There was a, a survey done, and they, they talk about this survey in the Harvard Business Review. It was a survey of one million college students. A million college students. And it, this is a famous and older survey, and they asked them questions uh, to compare themselves with their peers. And so the questions were like, you know, uh, compared to your peers, would you consider yourself a leader? Do you know that 70% of those that asked said that they were above average in leadership compared to their peers? Only 2% felt they were below average. Now, I'm not a very smart college student, but I think if average is right down the middle, then that kind of means that there's more than 2% that are below average, right? Why is that? Well, because they felt like, optimistically, clearly I'm a better leader than most of you. That's what they thought of their peers. 60% thought they were better athletically than their peers. 6% felt like they were worse athletically. 60% felt like they were in the top 10% of their class. Only 6% felt like they probably were in the lower 10% of their class. Do you know why? Because they're innately, we are as people, like innately optimistic about ourselves and what's going on in our lives. Do you know why? Because it would really suck if we were always down on ourselves. I'm sorry, I crossed that out right there. Uh, it would not be good if we were always down on ourselves, right? It would, it would feel bad to always be down on ourselves, wouldn't it? It would be. It would feel bad. Do we want to feel bad? Came to church, feel good. Don't want to feel bad. Feeling bad feels... Thank you. The Jews at this time, they had a false sense of security. Now, stay with me for just a moment. Good things were happening in Jerusalem. Okay? What are the good things? Major good things. The temple had been rebuilt after having been destroyed you know, a hundred plus years earlier, the temple had been rebuilt and worship had started again at the temple. Is that a good thing? Right. Could, could they feel like, and, and one of our dear friends always says this, you know, it's progress, not perfection, right? Which is true. So couldn't they feel good? Like, you know, we're making progress here. Good things are happening for us. You know what else? The exile had ended. The forced exile of the Jews had ended. So now people were going back, except it was a lot harder back there. So what were they doing? They were staying where they were. But the exile had ended. So there was progress that was going on. They had this false sense of optimistic security. And so they saw the broken walls. They saw the gates burned by fire. In fact, so much rubble that they couldn't even go certain ways. And they thought, we're doing okay. We're doing fine. I think we do that in our lives. I think it's human nature. I don't think there's any way around it. I'm an op optimistic person. I go out and pray and I think, man, I have it good. I really do believe that. I've been married to my wife for 26 years. It'll be 20, 27 in May. We've been together. We just celebrated our 30th Valentine's Day together. She's awesome. Just ran another marathon. She's a tough chick. I wouldn't do that. She knows I won't do that. I refuse it. I go there. I have a martini or something. I watch her finish. That's what I do. That's not exactly what I do. It's in the morning. I'm just messing with you guys. Like a mimosa or something. I have great kids. I have three awesome boys that I love and adore. I got, my dogs are phenomenal. I got two amazing dogs. Really, I love my dogs. I have a bull terrier. Wow, is he cool. The coolest dog ever. I love what I do. Like, got a great job and stuff. Like the people that I serve. And so we, we look at all these positive things. But, you know, there's certain areas of our lives where we go, wow. You know, that's been bad for a long time. 
And it isn't until like you, you know, do a serious inspection and like open up your heart to the truth where you go, you know, my, my marriage is really in bad shape. Or, you know what, my relationship with God is really broken. I, yeah, I mean, it's good. We're church and it's good that your baron would listen to me. And it's it's good. All these. Things. But but when you like strip away the stuff. Right. And you look at it, you go, man, this is a monumental failure in my life. I got to fix this. We all got that. We all got it. It's OK. I'm not speaking as one that doesn't have it. I got it. It's dangerous because it causes complacency in our lives to. To just always think of the good and not like do a serious inspection. So Nehemiah does a serious inspection. I, I bet there was a lot of weeping as he rode around the gates because now he saw it with his own eyes, right? Probably more motivated than ever. And so it's time to meet with the leaders, right? So he calls people together. He brings them together. And he says some really challenging things to them. He basically tells them in verse 17, we're in trouble. You see the trouble that we're in. This part of your life is in ruins. This part of your life has been totally destroyed by fire. But we can do something about it. We can rebuild it together. And when we do, you will no longer be in the disgrace that you're in right now. That's the talk he has with him. I'm sure he says many other words. But for the first time, they go, you know what? He's right. We can do something about this. And you know what? We should do something about this. Right? You know what I think is interesting? And I, I remember reading this and, it, and it, it like hit me. You know, the first thing he does is appeals to their own self-interest. He doesn't talk to him about God. You go, I was so unspiritual, probably. But he appeals to their own self-interest. He says, you know, your life is a mess. This area of your life is in shambles. This thing, you, you, you've been ignoring it and overlooking it. You can't overlook this anymore. You've got to do something about that. And oh, by the way, look at what God did to bring me here. That's what he does. The second part in verse 18, he says, I also, oh, by the way, I also told them about the gracious hand of God with me and how the king had sent me. He appeals first their self-interest. Human nature, right? Fix it. You can fix it. And oh, by the way, God will help you fix it. Is that awesome? God wants you to fix it. But we can only fix it when we, you know, take it serious. I'm reading this book right now by Damon John, Shark Tank Dude. Uh, it's called The Power of Broke. Anybody hear of it? It's kind of cool. Um, he talks about how the biggest mistake that entrepreneurs make is they raise money, they raise resources, they raise leadership because they're no longer hungry. He said the real power is in being broke. By looking at it, by looking at your situation and saying, you know what, it's broke. And, and I've got to do everything I can in my power to fix it. When you have money and resources and time and all of that, it's easy to go, oh, this will fix. This will, this will come around. This will be fine. And you know what ends up happening? You end up going broke. You do. You do. Because you didn't do what you needed to do to fix it in the first place. It all, like, resides with us. Isn't that cool? Like, we, God already wants it changed. He already loves us. He already wants these broken areas of our life fixed. He already wants that. We just have to want it as much as Him. So kind of in closing, He told them about God's favor. 
and which is really cool. He says, oh, and by the way, just as a as a side note, if you want to do anything cool, just understand that like all the negative people, they're going to come out of the woodwork. Right. Because that's what happened right here. They like start rebuilding. And what happens? This dude, Sandballot, what kind of name is that? Even his mama didn't like him naming him that. And Tobiah the Ammonite and, and this Arab dude mock him and ridicule him. You want to do something great? Be ready to get mocked and ridiculed. Hey, I want to clean my life up. I'm going to stop going out drinking. I'm going to stop going out carousing. All your friends are going to be like, what's wrong with you? Not getting wasted anymore. Uh... Yeah. So crazy. But that's the way the world works. You want to do something good? Get ready. Maybe even for those close to you to go. You're going to fail at that like you fail at everything. Side note. Verse 20. He answers them by saying, you know, the God of heaven will give us success. And then he throws them a jab. I guess it's okay to throw them jabs every now and then. At least that's my rationalization. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you're going to get nothing. You don't have any historic right, historic claim. We're going to shut the gates when we rebuild them and you're going to be on the outside. I love that stuff, by the way. (laughs) It's just maybe my sinful nature, but I go, yeah, yeah, Sam Ballot. To end, success comes from God. I, I shared, I shared like the, these five steps, and you know, look honestly at your stuff and all that, right? All that, all that. I think is meaningful. I think all of it is the truth. It's there in the Bible. But you know, at the end of the day, it comes from God. If you're successful, it comes from God. We had some really good friends over last night for dinner, and we were talking. Because not always did I think that. And so he was sharing a story uh, that I super related to. He's like, you know, he's my age now, you know, which is incredibly young. But still, like when he was young, even younger than incredibly young, infantile almost. He was 18 and he started this business. This was back in the 80s. And the business was when AT&T had pulled out of phone booths. Anybody know what a phone booth is or pay phone? All right, so eight of us get that. The rest of us don't. Don't worry about it. Like before we had this kind of stuff, we had like actual phones that were connected to things. And it was crazy. And so he put this whole deal together with all these other providers that was going to pay him $2 million up front. This is at 18 years old, back in the 80s. $2 million up front and $30,000 a month in perpetuity. It was a big deal. And he said, one day I was standing, he said, everything was done. I mean, it was all but signed. I already sold my car and picked out the Porsche I was going to buy. Already, all the stuff an 18-year-old would do with $2 bucks, right? And so he said, and I, I stood there shaving one morning, looking at the mirror, and I thought to myself, not even God could mess this deal up. And he said, at that moment, the archangel Gabriel brought my file and put it on God's desk. (laughs) He didn't say that exactly, but I just think that's probably what happened. And it's like my file. And he said, the whole thing evaporated before my eyes in the most miraculous ways. Kind of like the whole Titanic thing, you know, not even God could sink the Titanic. And there it goes. Success comes from the Lord in your life. Whether you get that or not now, you know, maybe when, you know, God closes the file and moves it off his desk, you'll get it by then. But God's favor grants us success. So at the end of the day, we pray for his favor. And we hope that whatever plans you have in your heart, I have in mind, that they're plans that God wants to see us achieve. Because you know what? If we do these things, we will achieve them. Amen? Let's say a prayer, and then uh, we'll finish out for today. Let's pray. Amen. Amen. Father, um, gosh, so thankful for the opportunity to share these thoughts uh, on Nehemiah. Uh, Thank you for him. Thank you for the example, God, that he is. Um, I know, Lord, 
that you've put different things in all of our hearts to do and to accomplish. Our prayer is that we would accomplish those things, that because of the ways you work in our lives, great things would happen in our lives and around us. Many people would know you. Many people would be saved. Many people's lives would be affected because of how you work through us. Lord, we love you. We ask these things and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Have a great day.
here. I'm stashing it. Before he sets up on the board, it's gonna explode in the the monitors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let me let me go make Hold sure. On to that one. Yeah. Test. Hey Joel. <laughs> Joel, can you cut this off so we can turn this off? I mean, everything should just turn off already.